Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Freeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the Curtain Jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Vegas 10, Watterson versus Hill. It's It's been a shuffled main card, but it is still very promising. And with that being said, you of course know we won't be talking about any of that main card. Instead, we are all focused on the prelims. Now, for those of you who are new to the show and might be wondering to yourself, why not talk about the main card? It's where the you know higher-ranked fighters are. The answer is very simple. We think there's a lot of value, whether you're gambling or playing daily fantasy sports, on the prelim portion of the card. And knowing that information gives you a leg up on your opponents. And speaking of getting a leg up on your opponents or your bookie, this episode is brought to you by AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com. You can find AJ at that link, and he's completely unlike all of those other companies that offer gambling advice because he doesn't just give you a list of plays every single week. No, no, no. He's much more than that. Instead, he provides you with both his picks, but also education so that you can win for years to come. He gives you in-depth breakdowns. They get sent right to your inbox. Sometimes they're audio. Sometimes they're written. Sometimes they're video. And it gives you the tips and know-how so that you can make informed decisions and maximize your profit for years to come. I suggest that you check him out at AJ'sActionPackSportsBets.com. You can see all of his past breakdowns, his records, and his customer success there. You can also follow him on Twitter, at AJMMABetting. You won't be sorry you did. Now, of course, in order to do this breakdown, I have to be joined by a co-host. Joining me now, newly from BloodyElbow.com. Congratulations on that, by the way is Kristen King. Kristen King, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Daniel. I'm happy to be back. All right. And as you guys know, we're going to start this round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start by talking about Matt Fravola versus Roosevelt Roberts. Fravola is on a two-fight win streak. He beat Jalen Turner and Luis Pena back-to-back, both of those decisions. Roberts, after a two straight wins, got caught by an armbar by Jim Miller. Certainly no shame in that. But but here's my question for you. Both of these guys can grapple but in very different ways, right? Like Frivola, heavy top game guy, Roosevelt Roberts, slick submission guy. Any chance we see any other kind of fight except for Roberts looking for the submission while Frivola is on top? Um, You know what? Probably not. I think that's the way the fight is going to go, to be quite honest with you. I mean, Roberts has some of the best jujitsu in his division, and Frivola is one of those uh, wrestling-heavy top heavy guys so I can definitely see this fight heading on the ground very quickly unless we get some striking thrown in there which I think Favola doesn't get a lot of credit I think he has some incredible striking but I'm worried that it's not um, the best match against someone like Roosevelt Roberts who has the power and the striking especially in his boxing he has enough power to put you down and then once you're down he'll wrap up a submission so the way that you outline the fight I definitely see that going but we could have different avenues as far as who decides uh, on what they want to approach this fight with is Roosevelt Roberts going to remain striking with Matt Frivola or is Frivola going to push him up against the cage potentially get him down and just hold him there unless he's worried about the submission game of Roosevelt Roberts, which I'm not sure he will be. I think Matt Pavola wouldn't find himself in a really compromising position, but we'll have to see about that. I'm really excited to see how this one plays out. Me too. And I'm curious as to what you think, because you kind of hinted to it in there a little bit. Do you think if this stays standing, this this fight favors Roberts over Favola? Oh, 1000%. It definitely favors uh, Roberts over Favola. I mean, 
again, Frivola has good striking, but it is not the same level as Roosevelt Roberts. So if it remains just a striking battle, I'd have to lean with Roberts. But if it somehow ends up on the ground, I would like to think that Frivola does enough to control uh, Roberts, unless, again, there is a submission, because you know how Roosevelt Roberts is. He definitely looks for those, especially off his back. So it'd be I, I, I'm interested in seeing which way that this is going to go. I think Favola has enough to just keep him on the ground. So it's always easy for me to pick the the wrestling heavy fighters. So I, I want to lean with that in the most like ideal situation, but I'm definitely not going to count Roosevelt Roberts out entirely. Yeah, there's so many variables in this fight, but I, I think I'm with you on this one. I, I think the safe pick here is probably Matt Frivola by decision, just because, like you said, he does have that control piece. It's easy to pick the wrestler in a decision here. Um, so that's what I'm going to go with. That That's what you're going with as well? Yeah, absolutely. And on top of that, the last two opponents for Favola were like these tall, rangy fighters. So he has the blueprint. So I, I think it should be an easy one for Favola. It's going to be by decision. All right, and the next one is Bobby Green versus Alan Patrick. So Green on a two-fight win streak all in, like, the last three months. He beat Lando Venata and Clay Guida, both by decision. And then we're going to go back and look at Alan Patrick, who last fought in October of 2018, where he got TKO'd by Scott Holtzman. His last win was actually in February of 2018, where he beat Demir Hadzovic by decision. So obviously, like, Green is one of the most active guys lately, right? This is going to be three fights in three months. Patrick hasn't fought in almost two years and hasn't won in two and a half years. How much of a factor is this in the fight? And, and how do you break down a fight where this is the case? Oh, man, that, I, that was my main concern when I saw this matchup. Because Bobby Green is a short notice replacement. This was not Alan Patrick's uh, initial opponent. I believe his original scheduled opponent had pulled out and then Bobby Green came in. And I mean, this two-year layoff for Patrick is not good, especially coming off of uh, um, a TKO by elbows uh, by way of Scott Holtzman, who I don't think Scott Holtzman is really necessarily known for his finishes like that. So to be finished by someone like that is a problem. And now you're going up against Bobby Green, who seems to be really hitting his stride in the last couple of months. I mean, he looks sensational in the last fight, which was a fight of the night winner uh, against Lando Venata. And I mean, I just feel like Green has more ways to win here. I mean, there's the boxing. And then on top of that, if there was a chance for Patrick to win the fight, I would say it'd be on the ground. But the problem is you have to get on the ground. And we know Bobby Green is super good at fending off takedowns. So it could e very easily be either a short night for Bobby Green. I, I mean, he has really good striking and volume. Or he's going to go into late into the late third round and, and possibly finish Alan Patrick, who is coming in here off of a two-year absence. And I don't know how well his gas tank is going to hold up after that, and especially against someone who's going to stay in your face no matter what. It just seems like this is Bobby Green's fight to win. I, I think this was a terrible replacement as far as Alan Patrick goes. I mean, it could have been anybody else. But Bobby Green, the streaking Bobby Green at this moment, I, I don't like Alan Patrick's uh, chances in this one. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. This was probably the worst case scenario for him when they picked a film-in fight. I would also throw in there, too, because you mentioned, you know, Alan Patrick might want to take down, might want to be on the ground, and that Bobby Green is a hard guy to take down. He also has a ton of takedowns. He took down Lando Venata three times. He took down Clay Guida twice, who are, they're both great wrestlers. So, you know, Bobby Green also wrestles in his own right. So, yeah, I don't see Alan Patrick having much luck here. Uh, you know, you mentioned the cardio. The cardio is a huge concern being off that long. Uh, I'm going to go Bobby Green here. He hasn't got a ton of finishes. I'm going to take him by decision. How about you? 
I'm actually going to take him by a finish. I'm going to say Bobby Green by third round technical knockout. That's my safe pick. All right, and that's going to do it for the end of our very first round. We'll be right back with two more fights in round number two. And this is just a reminder that this show is brought to you by AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com. That link is in the show notes if you want to hit it up. One of the awesome things that AJ does for you each and every week is that he sends you his picks, but he also sends you pros and cons for each matchups, as well as some thoughts on some DraftKings matchups as well. And let me tell you something, the DraftKings matchup stuff is so highly regarded because he gives you information about who might be owned heavily and not so much. And for me, that's a big thing because if you want to win the big jackpot on some of those events, you've got to make sure you have, you know, the diamond in the rough. And that's what AJ is here to bring it to you. So I highly suggest checking him out. AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com. Get on over there. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Julia Avila versus Sajara Eubanks. Avila, 2-0 in the UFC. She recently knocked out Gina Mazzani in 22 seconds. Before that, she took a decision over Pani Kianzad. But of course, she's had eight cancellations since getting signed with the UFC. A lot of bad luck has kept her sort of on the shelf for a while. Eubanks, meanwhile, is 1-2 since moving to 135 pounds. She lost to Aspen Ladd and Betch Cohea, but she most recently got back in the win column with a decision victory over Sarah Morris. So obviously, one of the interesting dynamics of this fight is both work really well with their physicality and both in the clinch. Both very strong, both work well in close quarters. Who do you favor in a fight should this get to the clinch and possibly even up against the cage? I think I'm going to favor Julia Avila in this fight. I mean, the girl, I think we've talked about her in the past. I mean, she is an absolute bulldog, and she just does not stop coming forward. And I think that's certainly going to be an issue for someone like Eubanks, who, as you have mentioned, yes, she does have the physicality to rely on. But against someone like Julia Avila, who has so many more tools than just her physicality, I just don't know if that's going to be enough to keep Eubanks in the fight, and especially considering that her cardio does not typically hold up in the later rounds, I feel like this is a very good fight for Julia Avila to showcase a lot of her skills. We saw her get that quick knockout against Gina Mazzani in her last fight. But this is a chance for her to really show exactly what she does best, and that is mix everything up. I mean, if she's on top of you, it's a problem. If she's standing in front of you, it's a problem. Eubanks cannot get comfortable in this kind of fight because no matter which way the fight goes, Julia Avila is going to be in her face. And eventually, I think Eubanks is going to tire out. And Julia, she's going to walk away with the win. That's how I see it happening. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on this one, too. And, and one of the things that sticks out to me the most about this fight, too, is that if you look at who Eubanks has been able to beat versus who she's lost to, people who can match her physicality and take that advantage away typically do very well against her, right? Like Sarah Morris didn't do well against her because she's not as physically strong as her. Aspen Ladd was able to cancel that part of her game out and won it on skill. And I, I see Julia Avila doing a very similar thing. She can match the physicality enough so that Eubanks tires out, like you mentioned. And, and man, her, her elbows and clinch knees are so good. I think she's <laughs> one of the most underrated women in all of the UFC uh, and especially that Bantamweight division. I mean, she's 2-0, and and she looked damn good in both of those fights. So, yeah, I got Avila here, and I think she probably finishes Eubanks when she gets tired. Uh, how about you? I'm going to say Avila by way of decision. All right, and that brings us to our next fight, which is Matt Danger Schnell versus Tyson Nam. Schnell had a four-fight winning streak, but it got snapped at the hands and 
pun intended, the hands of Alexandre Pantoja. Tyson Nam uh, was 0-2 in the UFC, but he used his hands to get himself back in the win column against Zaruka Dashaev. So here's my question for you. Schnell, he's a submission wizard. But in the same sense, he's a submission wizard usually off of his back. A lot of triangles, a lot of arm bars off of his back. There's no way that Tyson Nam shoots on him here. So here's the question. Does Schnell have the ground game when he's the one on top and he's the one initiating it? And is it good enough to beat Tyson Nam? You know what? I don't know if it's good enough to beat Tyson Nam because, again, very much so like the uh, Bobby Green and Alan Patrick fight, you have to get somebody to the ground. And, I mean, it's very – it could happen against Tyson Nam, who we've talked about in the past. He hasn't been all too consistent, and that's what's so frustrating about his style of fighting is he hasn't been consistent. However, in a fight like this, mind you, Tyson Nam has never been submitted. And however many plus fights that he has, I think he has over 30, uh, he has never been submitted. So while I really do enjoy the matchup between like a grappler and striker, I just can't see Matt Schnell being able to get the fight on the ground and, and being on top of Tyson Nam, who, as we know, is probably going to scramble and get back up and keep the fight standing. I think that's what Tyson Nam wants to do mainly, keep the fight standing, because as he has alluded to before, he says he's one of the hardest hitting uh, Bantamweights in the division, which his record would certainly agree with. So I can't argue with him there. It's just a matter of implementing the game plan, because sometimes he gets way too complacent and he could fight his opponent's fight. So if he remains standing, everything should work out for Tyson Nam. I think, uh, as you said, Matt Schnell recently just got knocked out. So I don't know how well his chin is going to hold up against someone like Tyson Nam. And I don't think that he should be shooting in on Tyson Nam, who's probably going to light him up no matter what he does. So Matt Schnell, I I don't know. I don't know. I I think he can rely on his jujitsu just a little bit, but it's going to be a tough out against someone like Tyson Nam who has no problem sparking anyone. Yeah, you're 100% right. He has no problem sparking him. And while I was sitting here looking, Tyson Nam has fought 31 times. It's going to be his 32nd fight. Only one of his fights has ended by submission, and it was him picking up the submission all the way back in June of 2009. So mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been 10 years since any of his fights ended by submission, and he was on top. With that being said, I am worried about it because I, I do think Matt Schnell is a different level grappler than he's used to fighting. A lot of the guys he's fought have kind of just engaged him in the striking or decided a point strike fight. You know, like Sergio Pettis, you know, jabbed him from away. Kaikara France mixed it up with him a little bit, but like no threat of the takedown, no threat of the jiu-jitsu game. You know, he, he beat Ali Bagoatinov, but he did so after Bagoatinov kind of beat him up on the ground a little bit and he knocked him out with a second left. So, yeah, I, I actually think I'm going to go with Matt Schnell on this one. I'm going to take him by decision just by controlling him enough. I also like that he's working at Fortis MMA now, which is always a bonus in my opinion. So I'm going to go with Schnell. Sounds like you're going Nam. How are you going with Nam? I'm going to go Nam by way of second round knockout. All right. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number three. Hey, guys, this is just one more reminder. AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com. That link is in the show notes. I'm telling you week in and week out that I think AJ is one of the top guys if you need gambling advice out there. But you don't just have to take my word for it. Head on over to AJActionSportsBets.com and check out all of what people are saying about him. You can find tons of famous, you know, famous writers for MMA saying nice things about AJ. Marcel Dorf is maybe the leading guy when it comes to breaking fights. 
he is lauding what, what AJ is saying about gambling. So you want a guy who's on the inside, AJ's on the inside. Check him out, AJ's Action Pack Sports Vets. And we are back with round number three. We got three more fights to talk about, and I'm going to put five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Brock Weaver versus Frank Camacho. Weaver won and won in the UFC, although he won his debut over Rodrigo Vargas by DQ. He got followed up by getting knocked, or choked out rather, by Roosevelt Roberts, the aforementioned in his second fight. Camacho, meanwhile, on a two-fight losing streak himself, both first-round losses, he lost to Benil Dariush by submission. He got knocked out by Justin James in just 41 seconds back in June. It seems like there's probably a skill disparity here between Camacho and, and Weaver. Camacho seems to have things you know, a little bit better put together. What does Weaver have to do to avoid that power and technicality of Camacho on the feet? You know what? I I wish I could tell you because I just don't see a, a winning path for Weaver in this fight. Do you, do you know of that... Um... It's almost like this. Do you know the Spider-Man meme where it's two Spider-Mans <laughs> each other? Yeah. This is essentially this kind of fight. Brock Weaver and Frank Camacho, more than likely, they are very entertaining fighters. They are going to get in a brawl. But as you mentioned, Camacho is just a little bit more technically sound uh, than Weaver. I think Weaver typically relies on his... Uh, brute strength and his ability to absorb a lot of punches um whereas that has been a concern as of late for someone like Camacho who who was recently overwhelmed and knocked out in a couple of seconds so that's always a maybe that's a path to victory for Weaver but I just don't see Camacho getting himself locked up in that kind of wrong his last outing that he just cannot do that uh Brock Weaver could certainly put you away but I think if anyone has a better chance of doing that it'd have to be Camacho um and two we have to think about maybe if he learned something from the roosevelt roberts fight i think camacho does have a a solid ground game it's not like the most amazing thing but he could take it there if he wanted to and seeing how easy it was to submit brock weaver i mean rather than get to this entire brawl maybe switch up your your style for a bit and, and go take it to the ground and work brock weaver there other than that, I, I just can't really see a, a winning path to, uh, for victory as far as Brock Weaver is concerned. I'd have to pick Camacho in this fight. Yeah, and it's worth noting, too, that Camacho is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. It, it's so <laughs> important to remember that because, like, people forget that he can do jiu-jitsu, too. But, you know, you mentioned if they get into a slugfest. Also worth mentioning, Frank Camacho, 17 career knockouts in his career, which is ridiculous number. Whereas, you know... Weaver's only fought 20 times, and he's got two knockouts. It was his first and second pro fight. So, like, if this gets into a slugfest, obviously it favors Camacho. I think it does that, and Camacho gets a knockout pretty much as early as he wants. So uh, I'm going to take Camacho KO1, and how about you? I'm going to say Camacho first-round knockout. All right, and that takes us to our next fight, which is Sabina Mazo versus Justine Kish. Mazo, 2-1 in the UFC. She beat J.J. Aldridge by split decision back in January. Before that, she beat Shayna Dobson, who was recently coming off a nice win herself. Justine Kish had a two-year layoff, but just recently returned to defeat Lucy Pudilova by unanimous decision in kind of a fun striking match. So my question here is both of these guys seem kind of like fun volume strikers on the feet. Which one do you like in that kind of fight? to lean with uh, Sabina Mazo in this fight and it's it's simply because of the discrepancy in reach and the kind of approach that she typically does which she fights on the outside she can keep her opponent away from her and pick her shots if she does that however that can sometimes be a problem for someone like her because eventually uh, your opponent is going to want to come in right so Justine Kish can certainly break that mold come in 
But I'm also worried about that because Sabina Mazo is sensational in the clinch and she's a very tall, lanky girl. I don't know if someone like Justine Kitch would want to be wrapped up and start eating those knees like that. But my, yeah, I'd have to go with, with Mazo in this kind of fight because she's taller, she's rangier, she typically does well on the outside. So if she keeps it there, good. But if she starts to get pressured and as you alluded to, the volume comes into play as well, Justine Kitch could probably steal another fight like she did with uh, Lucy Pudilova. I mean, that was an interesting fight. I think she was a great underdog in that and she completely dominated. So I could either see a fight happening like that or Sabina Mazo just completely uh, outpoints her, especially if she stays in range. So I think Mazo should be able to get this one done. Yeah, I think you outlined the path to victory that I do like for Justine Kish, though. And that's since she's come back from that injury, she seems to be more intent on being first in her strikes. You know, not being a counter striker, not being far away from people, getting in their face a little bit. And I think, you know, with her skills, that's a great game plan here in this one. And I actually, I think I'm going to go with the underdog here with Justine Kitch. I'm going to take her by decision. Sounds like you're going with Mazo. How do you got her winning this one? Um, I'm going to say Mazo by decision as well. All right. And that leads us to our last fight, which is Brian Bam Bam Barbarana versus Anthony Aquaman Ivy. Barbarana, 0-2 in 2019, hasn't fought since then. He got knocked out by Vicente Luque in the third round and then knocked out by Randy Brown also in the third round and since he's been off for 15 months. Now he's fighting Anthony Ivey who only spent about a minute in the UFC cage in his UFC debut before getting knocked out by Christian Aguilera. That was back in June. So usually I wouldn't give you know Ivey all that much hope against the savvy veteran like Bam Bam. But like the 15-month layoff and back-to-back knockouts before that we we could talk about a path to victory here for Ivy. What do you think it is? Yeah, for Ivy, I definitely think that because we've talked about him before. Also, he's an, a, an excellent striker and he does pretty well on the on the ground. But I think that if he just stays out of Barbarina's way, just pick and choose a shot, get on his bicycle a little bit. I think he should be okay. Um, Brian Barbarina, as you said, he's coming off of a really long layoff. And also, he had surgery recently, and I believe it was on his back. I'm not entirely sure about that. But if that is the case, I don't know if he wants to engage in, like, a ground game. I mean, I don't know how you recover from a surgery like that and then immediately think, hey, I think I want to grapple with this tall, rangy guy who is known for getting a submission or a knockout. So it's just like, I think Ivy, it is a tough test. But if he can pick and choose his shots and stay out of Barbarina's way, I think he should be fine. Barbarina is one hell of a veteran, and this is a very tough test. But uh, I I think Ivy should be able to get it done. Here's a follow-up question, too, because we are a little bit low on time here. But I'm going to ask, Barbarina gets beat twice by knockout or TKO in his last two fights. How likely do you think he is to try to avoid the striking in this one and use his wrestling to get it on the ground? Because he doesn't have bad wrestling. How likely do you think that that's the path he might be thinking about taking? You know what? I'm not sure if it's totally plausible for him to do that, only because I think he enjoys standing on the ground. I mean, he definitely has his wrestling there, but he doesn't really use it because he gets into these barn burners of a fight, and I think that's what he likes to do. So against someone who's willing to strike with him, like Anthony Ivey, I could definitely see Barbarina abandoning any chance of going on the ground and just staying up straight and just trying to knock someone out. He's trying to make a big... A big comeback here, so I don't think he's going to the ground at all. All right. Well, it sounds like you're leaning Ivy. How do you got him winning this one? I'm going to say Ivy by way of decision. All right. And I'm going to take Bam Bam by decision, too. I'm going to disagree with you on this one just because, 
you know, I've seen what he looks like when he's on, and, and I just, you know, part of me hopes that we get to see, you know, the best version of what he really is. Um, and that's going to do it for the end of our show. We've given you seven fights in just over 15 minutes. We hope you guys learned a little something, and hopefully it helps you enjoy these fights, should not all seven of them change somehow right before the fights start. Um, I want to thank Kristen King for joining me. Once again, you can follow her on Twitter, at Kristen King MMA, and you can read her stuff at Bloody Elbow now. Kristen. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I can't wait to do it again.